Good morning and good coffee, fellow coffee book lovers. Welcome back to Coffee Books, the podcast where I read books about coffee to you while I drink coffee. We are continuing on in our literary saga of The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee, written by Tristan Stevenson, in the middle of page 32. Pulped Natural Coffee Pulped natural coffees are recognized under a variety of other titles, including semi-washed, semi-levado, and the delightful-sounding honey-processed. These terms don't necessarily describe identical processing methods. As with the regional differences in their names, there are differences in their methodology too, but they are all in effect a combination of natural and wet processing. For a coffee farm, this marriage of methods neatly combines the economic benefits of the natural process with some of the speed of the washed process. In the resulting cup of coffee, you tend to find better body than some washed coffees, but more clean and crisp character than with natural processing. The process starts out in the same way as wet processing. The coffee is first pulped to remove the skin and flesh. As with washed coffee, the mucilage remains attached to the seed but instead of being sent to fermenting takes for removal, the beans skip straight to the drying phase. Drying pulped natural coffee is particularly challenging, as the moist and sticky environment is the perfect setting for rot and decay. Mechanical dryers don't work, as the mucilage sticks to the hot surfaces like glue, so the coffee is dried on raised beds or raked over large patios in a process that takes one to two weeks. During pulping, the farm can also choose to remove some or most of the mucilage from the seed before drying, which speeds things up even more. It also gives the green bean a lighter color, and takes the character of the coffee further in the direction of a washed coffee. Mechanical demucilagers are becoming more commonplace and are effectively an extension of the pulper, whereby they depulp and strip the mucilage through the use of rough bristles or through the use of water pressure. Critics of these types of machines claim that foregoing the fermentation process of a fully washed coffee denies the coffee some of its clarity and acidity. Interestingly, in response to this criticism, some growers are choosing to scrub and partially ferment their coffees. Seeing as the amount of mucilage left on the seed is so important to the final character of the coffee, steering it in the direction of washed or natural character traits, this scrubbing or shaving process is now loosely graded in the context of honey processed coffee. Black honey retains most of the mucilage before drying, red honey removes some, and yellow honey removes all or nearly all of it. You can get a good idea of the extent of scrubbing simply by examining a sample of beans, where the actual color of the beans vaguely corresponds to the style of honey processing. Costa Rica is a good example of a country that has embraced this kind of processing with gusto. Many farmers there are investing in small demucilagers to fine-tune their processing methods. This becomes particularly interesting when a single estate releases a crop that has been processed in two or more ways, because it allows us humble consumers to draw taste comparisons between the different methods. Drying whether undergoing wet processing, the pulped natural or natural method, eventually the coffee must experience a drying process that reduces the moisture content of the bean from 40% down to around 10 to 12%. This is a process that requires constant attention since the warm, 
moist piles of beans need to be regularly turned to avoid the development of mold and bacteria. Airflow, temperature, and humidity and light must all be taken into account. Patios are the oldest, cheapest, and simplest form of coffee drying where the coffee is spread a couple of inches deep and raked hourly to provide equal airflow and light to all the beans. One of the useful traits of the patio is its ability to soak up the heat during the day, which it continues to release overnight, thus providing quite stable and consistent drying conditions. Raised beds, also known as African drying beds, are becoming increasingly popular around the world. Constructed from wood and thin mesh screens, they look a lot like very long silk screens or hammocks that sit at waist height. The advantage of the bed is the improved airflow that it offers, meaning that the coffee does not need to be turned as regularly. Some beds in countries such as Colombia, where the weather is changeable, also have plastic covers, like a polytunnel, that protect the coffee from rain, but still allow sufficient airflow. In Nicaragua and Sumatra in Indonesia, it is common to see coffee dried on tarpaulin, a very low-cost solution. Some hot countries, specifically those in Africa, have been forced to develop multi-stage drying processes that aim to limit the effect of the midday sun. These include such practices as moving the coffee from shade to light and piling it in mounds to moderate the evaporation of water. The general consensus is that the best coffee is produced when the rate of drying decreases near the end of the process. As you might expect, there are also more industrial means of drying coffee, but these are not as commonplace as one might think. Once again, it boils down to economics, where the cost of a mechanical dryer simply cannot compare with the price of cheap labor and a little bit of time. However, there is no escaping the fact that mechanical dryers at their best offer a much more consistent product. Especially in areas of unpredictable weather, in a fraction of the time, usually taking just 12 to 24 hours from start to finish. After drying, the coffee bean is still encased in its brittle parchment shell, and will remain a relatively stable product, protected from external flavors and susceptible only to the dangers of extreme temperature and moisture. Beans are usually rested at this stage for at least a few weeks, but only up to three months. This strengthens the cell structure of the bean and prolongs its shelf life following the dry milling phase. One exception to this rule can be found in Indonesia, where coffee is hold of its parchment layer while still wet. After the coffee cherry is pulped, a brief fermentation period occurs, followed by a single wash. Then the coffee is dried for a short time and hold of its parchment while still wet. With the premature green bean now fully exposed to the world, it is dried to the usual 10-12% sans parchment, resulting in a coffee that is heavy and earthy in character, typifying the Sumatran style. Leftovers Perhaps you're wondering what happens to all the discarded coffee fruit. The coffee bean itself accounts for only around 20% of the wet weight of the whole coffee cherry, so there's quite a lot of waste. In some countries, the wet pulp is recycled as fertilizer, but disposal of the vast quantities of wastewater that are used in this process and the subsequent pollution caused by coffee cherry mucilage are problems that are consistent all over the world. Some producers have taken to drying the cherry flesh into a product called cascara. Resembling a dried cranberry, cascara can be brewed into a kind of fruit tea that tastes a little like high-octane rosehip tea due to the caffeine present in the fruit. See page 176 for recipe.
We'll leave off here today and take off tomorrow or next morning at the top of page 36. Thank you for listening.